Hi everyone, this is Beautiful Minds and my name is Martin. My guest today is Leslie Green. Leslie, you're a visual storyteller, graphic designer and social media strategist. You've elevated the digital performance at numerous global organizations such as the USA Olympic Committee, Self Magazine and currently at HubSpot. I can't wait to learn more about what you have to say, your lessons and some of the things that all of us should be bearing in mind. Welcome to Beautiful Minds, how are you? Thanks for having me, that was such a nice introduction. Thanks practice. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, like you said, I've been working in the social media industry for a little over five years now, worked in sports, worked in media, health and fitness, and now I work in tech at HubSpot as our social media campaign manager. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm up to these days. How's that work with you when you work in social media and then it kind of branches out of digital marketing. Do you feel that you always get absorbed into the whole digital marketing ecosystem or does that very much remain a separate yeah. entity? Um, in other roles, it's been really specialized directly with social media. I think that's actually what attracted me to this role at HubSpot. Um, I just work with so many incredibly intelligent people and get to kind of touch a lot of different areas of business and um, just expand my understanding of digital marketing as a whole. I think sometimes social media managers kind of pigeonhole themselves to understand social, which is great to be really specialized, but I think it's really important in terms of marketing yourself as somebody who works in social to understand how it is just a small piece of the overall puzzle. And if you can't explain how that puzzle fits, you're not yeah. going to you're not going to be able to show the value of your role to Absolutely. people who are making the decisions about your paycheck. Absolutely. So, so let's rewind a bit. I want to know how you got into social media before HubSpot. I want to know about the Olympic Committee. Uh, I don't think I've met anyone that's worked for the Olympic Committee before. Yeah. It's, um, so when I was in school, I went to college at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, which is a small liberal arts school. Um, I did yearbook in high school, which I think really got me interested in graphic design and layouts and just sort of the visual aspect of things. So I went into college knowing that I wanted to do communication. Um, we didn't have specialized degrees the way that some programs do, like I wasn't in advertising or PR mm. or graphic design, but rather my degree kind of, we touched on all of that. And I think it was actually really great because a lot of our classes were spent on developing arguments as well as being able to justify decisions, which instead of just working on the tactical part. And I think that kind of liberal arts focus really helped me translate those skills into different areas that I've worked in now. So I did communication and I say this now, it's funny, my minor was in new media, which yeah. almost sounds antiquated at this point. Um, what does new media even mean? It's just media now. So it's kind of funny that I say my degree is like already, already outdated or my minor is already outdated, but I also did sport management. So I played volleyball in college and I was kind of just like trying to find something that would marry sort of my passions in outside of outside of school, which was fitness and health. And so um, our school had a really close connection with the U.S. Olympic Committee. And I've just always been really driven to the ideals that the Olympics kind of uphold. The amount yeah. of sacrifices that Olympians give is just incredibly inspiring. And so I was like, I had never lived anywhere but Texas. The job was in Colorado and I was really ready to just kind of like forge my own path, start something totally new. So 
I applied, got an internship. I started working in um, kind of on the website as like a digital content intern. And then I What had, year was this story? Uh, 2014. 14, okay. Yeah, so graduated in 2014. Um, so that summer I started working there. I really just, I feel like I had a knack for creating content in terms of like understanding things that were interesting. And I, I started to realize like how important social media was going to be. Yeah. I, I just knew that's where it was going. I'd always really loved Instagram. I'd been a very early adopter basically when it started, loved Snapchat, all those things. Um, yeah. And so my boss at the time came in, he was hired in a new role and I was about to leave my internship, but he was looking for a social media intern. And I was like, crap, they never, they never hired people back to back as an intern. But I was like, you know what? Like, I really want this role and I really want to work in social media. So <laughs> it's funny, I joke about this now, but I made my cover letter like a Twitter profile and wow. <laughs> why I should be the digital, uh, the, the social media intern. And you'll have to send me that. Yeah, I, I need yeah. to dig it up from the archives. I think it's on my like 2010 MacBook that I wow. don't even know if it turns on. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just, I felt that that was like a fun place to go. I love that it. it was always changing. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into social media. I will definitely say like, I loved it. And then learning from, I would say my boss at that time was really a mentor. And I think just really showed me that it could actually be a viable career path. Cause at that point, nobody was taking it seriously. I mean, people, to be honest, still sometimes don't take it seriously, but. Yeah, we'll just, come on to that later. I've noticed in your other podcast, you mentioned that. And I think um, we'd like to address that in this podcast. Right. It's almost like it's to say it simply, like it's, it's an easy barrier or it's a, it's a low barrier to entry, right? Like everybody can have an Instagram, but not everybody can have an Instagram that's successful, strategized, yeah. can tweet. Not everybody can run a social media account for a business. Like, I think that's the thing. It's like anything, anybody can have it. So anybody thinks that they're good at it, Yeah. Um, which sometimes makes people who work in social media, the roles feel a little bit diminished or devalued, but um, I think that's something I'm really passionate about is, you know, standing up for people in these roles and, you know, showing the value of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. But yeah, that's kind of how I got in. And then once I, once I got in, I really fell in love with it and just was always continuing to seek more roles in different places that also had social media, a social media component. Um, that, that took me to New York. I stayed in sports, um, trying to stay on the same path. Um, and then, yeah, I took a big shift to tech, moved to Boston for personal reasons. And that's kind of where I am. And now, like all the roles that I had were a little bit different, but social media wasn't a role when I first really started, but they started popping up and I jumped on it and having that, like even one to two years of actual <coughs> professional experience has made it, I think, easier to kind of jump, jump up faster. Yeah. Leslie, I want to go back to the yearbook. Um, I'm just trying to picture the moment when you volunteered to design the yearbook and get everyone's comments, pictures, because it, it's very comparable to today's Facebook, today's Instagram, right? With all the square shots. Yeah. Um, people wanting to look their best, the memories, the social currency, right? But at the same time, you must have felt like you were building almost like a community. I mean, yeah. that's part of your job today, isn't that not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yearbook, I went to, I mean, my high school wasn't, I mean, it was big comparably to some people's high school. I graduated about 400 people. Um, but yeah, I just, I loved design. And so it was funny. We actually had, I was a co-editor in chief. And so 
I managed all the design stuff. And then our other editor, she managed all, she was more into like the copy and writing aspect of it. So it was a really great like pairing that we had. Um, but I'd always felt that I just had like a, a pretty good eye for layouts and the way things looked and the way people would read a story visually. And I just, yeah, I went to like a yearbook conference in Seattle. I just, I really loved <laughs> it. And I thought it was like a really cool way. Yeah, super wow. Super nerdy, but it was it was really fun, and I think it was just like an awesome way to kind of memorialize. And I, it is really fun to look back at that yearbook and remember the decision making process that it took. I mean, people see design and they just see one thing, and they see the message that's trying to be articulated to them, but nobody knows like all the small decisions that go into making it. And I think that's like that that same idea translates to social media, right? Like people see a tweet and they're like, oh, like you know, yeah. And sometimes things are just tweeted, but like some people don't see the strategy and everything that's going into the whole picture. So that's the kind of fun aspect of it. But that you know, concept of storytelling and using design to convey a message across and um, even build a community to some extent with a yearbook, right? Is that something that was a reoccurring theme in your childhood as well? Um, I feel like growing up, I don't, it's kind of funny. I don't really remember being that artistically inclined being okay. younger like I was always doing like sports and gymnastics and I was a bit of a tomboy mm. um I had an older brother that I think I just I like idolized him when I was younger and so I I don't even really know exactly when the kind of like I would always make things I remember like making things in my room like I would jokingly tell my mom I was like I'm gonna like go in my room and make something and I like do something with popsicle sticks like I was creative in that way but I never yeah. really took it seriously and I even to this day, kind of joke that I never really, I think design was something that was always kind of like a value added to my roles. Like I yeah. always went in as a strategist, but then had like a graphic design background that was like self-taught. So I never really chased that as like my true career path, maybe because I like wasn't confident enough in it, but it was always something that I developed on the side as a passion and always, always, always ended up coming in handy whether it was like designing a brand for a new content series at a role. Um, and even for people entering the field today, that's one thing that I tell people, I'm like, you can't just get away with not knowing how to just create some type of graphic, create something like yeah. social is so highly visual. Like you think about stories, you think about Instagram posts, like, yeah, you can still send a text-based tweet out, but like, that's only one small, tiny platform. And you really have to think about like how you can tell these stories in a visually compelling way. So what kind of challenges do you think the industry faces? And when I say industry, I mean the social media industry and for everyone else to kind of absorb and embrace in terms of skills, in terms of new capabilities, because it is fast changing. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just there's just an oversaturation of content, right? Like yeah. everybody has content. Everybody's pumping out more content. Everybody's talking about content. And so... I think in my mind, like, I think the challenge really is right now is I think the past maybe five years, it was like scale up, scale up, do more, do more. And in some strategies like that works, but I think more people are stepping back and really stopping to think about the quality of what they're producing. Um, people are really starting to care less about just like sheer volume rather than sheer volume rather than just actually thinking about like the audience that they're developing. Um, when I was at Self Magazine, we, if, I, I'm not sure if your listeners know a lot about Self Magazine, but it was formerly sure. like a very, what's a good way to say this? It just was a very like stereotypical health and fitness magazine, you know, yeah. 
it was preaching lose weight and lose lose 10 pounds in 10 days like all of the things that are toxic about the health and wellness industry um it glamorized very thin white women for a very long time um and that was that was the brand and it was when i was there our editor-in-chief was really trying to completely do a 180 with the brand and um it was it, it, it and it's worked i mean her whole thing and everybody on that staff really believed in making wellness and health like a very inclusive industry and just for so long like health and fitness was reserved to this like elite group of already thin already in shape people yeah. who wanted to continue to perfect themselves rather and not even just like aesthetically but like thinking about your mental health your physical safety in different places um and so that was something that i felt really passionate about working there but within that transition like we had to make a decision on the content side to completely 180 like we we isolated a lot of people who had been you know following us on facebook or following us on instagram who expected to see that type of like you know kind of like rigid rhetoric about health and fitness and i mean to be frank i mean we pissed off a lot of people like a lot of people were like you guys are getting too political you guys are doing this you're getting that but like overall like we really valued the brand that we were trying to build and we were trying to speak to a specific set of people and not try to be for everyone um yeah. i think that's one thing that i think in terms of trends that i i wish more brands would really think about like not stressing out as much about the scale um but instead developing that quality like you said community and audience that genuinely like genuinely gives a shit about what you're saying like yeah. so much more rewarding to develop these a content when you see like a flood of comments it's like i've felt that i know that i see that and you just feel like you you connected a group of people rather than just you know it's always fun to make a successful meme yeah. happens but i think that's what i more people need to stop and really think about is not just creating for the sake of creating but creating to develop something that's meaningful and helpful to whether it's like building the brand or building the community it doesn't just have to be scale 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 all the time and in terms of emerging artists um you know they they're going to obviously enter a platform where perhaps there's a new generation of consumers coming through that they want to reach out to perhaps um there are different brands doing 180s on their strategy So what advice would you have for these emerging artists and potential influencers? Yeah, I mean I think I think in terms of platform first, right? I, I always tell people this like you've got to define your why first. Like why are you doing this in the first place? But then when it comes to just like strategy and platforms, like who are you really trying to talk to? Like I think that's a one thing like people will jump into social media and think they have to do everything. They're like I have to be on TikTok, I have to be on Snapchat, I have to be on Facebook, I have to do this and I have to do that and they're just spreading their efforts too thin. Yeah, um yeah. again with the quantity thing, just trying to do everything and be mediocre at it or subpar at it rather than get really good at one thing and develop an audience. I mean, say you are a younger audience. Say you actually are like a musical artist and you're younger. Like let's just think about the demographics of the platforms first. You know what I mean? Like TikTok would make a ton of sense for somebody to be there. Um Instagram would too and for different reasons, but thinking about like platform first and understanding who's actually in that space it's almost like you think about it as like houses or neighborhoods right like if you were going to go around and talk to people in a neighborhood you're a younger artist you're probably trying to reach people you know maybe like 18 to 25 like why would you go to the neighborhood where everybody was maybe like 70 and over and you know what i mean just trying to make yeah. those strategic decisions like pick where you're going and try to strategize there rather than trying to do everything. But well, that's a very interesting analogy. You've taken the not well, an online concept offline and said, okay, 
imagine this social media platform is a neighborhood. Yeah. You know, I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before. That's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that so much of social media, which I still love about it, enables us to be incredibly creative as well as enables us to do what we would do in human life faster. And that's one reason why as disheartened sometimes I do get with the problems that it causes. There are so many good things that come from it um, that still make me have hope. But I think it's so much of that is about educating yourself about your own usage as well as just understanding that it isn't real life and the clout you create, the followers you have. It's at the end of the day, they could take it away tomorrow. Like it could be gone tomorrow and understanding that it isn't real life. It is, again, it is a tool to help facilitate whether you're building a brand or a business, it's a tool to do that. Or if you're using it to facilitate relationships or if you're using it to entertain yourself, it's a tool, but it is not real life. And it is not, you know what I mean? There are things beyond that, but there's the, the, the whole demonization of it is like, I'm just kind of over it. Like I get that there are, a lot of bad things about it but I think I think it's hardest that argument is hardest when you're talking about like younger people right like as an adult like I have a sense to say like I can set my phone down I can walk away like I know that that's not real but you know kids who are 10 and under like their brains are developing on TikTok and seeing all these people who are you know whether it's over sexualized or things like that like it's that argument is hard and I don't know enough. I am not an expert in psychology or any of those types of things. So those arguments are hard, but then I would make the argument that like parents do need to step in and talk to their kids about what they're doing. Like there's social media is happening so fast that people almost can't keep up with it. Yeah. Um, Which is something that I see a lot. The, the kind of just like complete misunderstanding from parents and kids about like what kids are doing and, not understanding and not kind of actually teaching them that the internet is forever and like everything they put online can back up at some point. But it's important to say these things because obviously these kids are going to be businessmen one day and they're going to have to make strategic decisions on a platform that they might be emotionally connected to or have emotional scars from, you know, um, there might be a 35 year old manager one day who has to go and have a meeting with an influencer or has to approve a certain set of uh, key visuals that are going to go on the social media platform, or maybe even a video, who knows? Live broadcasting might become more common in the future. So how they interact with it as a child will affect how they interact with it in it from a business point of view. So it is important to get some sort of grip of it when you're yeah, and parents that have that knowledge and intelligence. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's really interesting in terms of like using it for like just fun versus using it for making strategic business decisions are different um and i think in my mind that's like what sets people apart in terms of working in the industry people can understand how it again is like one piece of the overall puzzle um and what you're doing isn't just like the end all be all just like when you have a business you can't just have a sales team right i mean i guess you might be able to, but like you're going to be more successful. So understanding how like social media is just one part of the overall scope um, and not just like pigeonholing yourself. I think that's something that's happened over the past five years is social media teams just work in this isolated bubble and they have this like, nobody knows what they're doing. Like, yeah. People are like, oh, like what is the social media team doing? And I think that's something that's really important that we do here um, at HubSpot is we really, we integrate 
a lot of other teams in what we're doing. Like there's transparency across the board into how we run our team. There's transparency into what we're creating. Like obviously, ultimately we're, you know, we're the content creators and the experts, but I think people who work on social media teams just need to be more open to whether it's teaching people in the office, whether it's talking about it, like don't make it this like crazy black box that nobody like knows about. I think that's that's what's hard for a lot of people, whether you're, you know, older or you're just, you know, you, you don't understand it, right? Like people are scared of things they don't understand and I think are scared to ask questions. And I kind of think, <laughs> I joke, I, I sometimes like think about it. I'm like, it's like, I'm trying to influence people to kind of see social media for good almost in a way. Like it's not so bad. It's not horrible. Like, but there are things that are bad about it. Right. But there's things that are bad about everything. So yeah. you can take that side of it or you can try to figure out like, how could this, how could this maybe make my life maybe a little bit better? If you feel like there's no way that it can, that's your decision. But yeah. like, don't hate other people who make it a part of their lives. So if you're that person in your business, I really encourage people who maybe who are listening, who are social media managers or maybe even work on a team of one, like get other people in your office involved, like meet people on your legal team, meet people on your leadership team, talk to them about social media, try to answer their questions. I I promise if you open that relationship up and you open the door, because people are going to be scared to ask, but if you open that door up, it's going to make your life so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Because you might have someone in the legal team who probably started working when we were in nappies and social media has boomed into this whole universe of unknowns and suddenly they have to become an expert overnight and yeah that is quite scary that is quite intimidating um so yeah that's that's really important i think it all starts internally right building that relationship making social media seem like a user-friendly topic just for you know conversation purposes and then you can start using it to your advantage in a in a business sense is that yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like building trust in the organization. Like I think people always think the social team is probably just like, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's probably a lot of misconceptions about like people who work in social media, but like <laughs> I think just opening up. And I mean, I think here at, at my job now, it's a little different because it is, you know, like a software company It's it is, yeah. tech first, like people get why social media is important, but imagine like st- being the social media person at maybe like, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of something right now, but there are definitely industries where it's kind of like, Oh, like, why do we even need this? Or what are they doing? And I think you have to be, you have to build those relationships and build trust with the people so that they buy in, but also you have to be your own biggest advocate. Like you can't, and that comes down to like, whether you're proving your metrics, your ROI, like all of those things, which are like, obviously annoying, like business things, but you have to be able to prove what you're doing. And you have to advocate for yourself because nobody else in the building a lot of times is going to even know how to, like your manager might not even understand social media. So you have to, as a social media manager, have to advocate for yourself, explain what you're doing, explain why what you're doing is important. And if you can't do that, you need to figure out how to explain it. Yeah, you mentioned KPIs. I do want to come on to that. Um, but before we do, let's talk a bit about what you did for the USA Olympic Committee, because I know you revolutionized or you had some sort of impact on the Snapchat. Yeah, so it's, I mean, revolutionized is a, is a, is a very big word for what we did. I mean, there well, was, I just you say I that, have... you say that, but I remember when I had Snapchat back in the day and Under Armour launched their account on Snapchat 
and it was very sport-based, right? And we're talking about sports now, the USA Olympic Committee. And it was around, this, around the same year. I think it's 2013, I, I added them on Snapchat. So yeah, pretty... You know, the story is actually, it's actually kind of funny. So that's what I did. I, my, my boss there was very creative, imaginative. He was all about like emerging platforms. And when things came up, he's like, we should try it. We should do it, which is unlike a lot. Sometimes you'll get with managers who, or just other organizations who are a little more closed off. And I mean, I would say the U.S. Olympic Committee was, I mean, they're, they've transitioned, but I mean, they are a more like legacy brand, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're yeah. not just they're not like a, a young, fresh, hip brand in terms of like, can kind of bend the rules a bit. Like they have a lot of things weighing on them, namely their name. Um, but I remember we, we were talking about Snapchat and we realized that X Games was coming up. So we were in based in Colorado Springs and we were just talking and we were like, oh, like X Games are coming up. And we had like, we had press pass, like we were able to go obviously because our athletes were going to be there. And we were just like sitting around. We're like, well, let's launch a Snapchat. And like my boss was literally like, you can go and you can do it. And I was like, I was terrified. I was like, oh, oh my God, like, what do you mean? Like, I can just like launch this. And we like came up with a plan. And one day it was like all over Twitter and Instagram. And we were like, we're live on Snapchat. Like we're at X Games. And like, I don't think I've ever been more nervous. Like it, I mean, it sounds like fun and easy, but like when you're creating content for a brand, it's like, did I spell this right? Did I actually list like what place they came in correctly did I spell the athlete's name right um but it was just such an awesome like somebody believed in me to do something and just go execute on it and I think that's always been like you've got to just like take some risks sometimes yeah. um, I can't tell you what their like you know strategic vision for Snapchat is now but I mean we did we got to do a lot of cool stuff we launched a cooking series on there um, there was just a lot of really fun stuff we got to do in it. I think Snapchat was really that first time that people really started to almost like face to face connect with people, right? Like people forget like Snapchat was before Instagram stories before TikTok. Like yeah. Snapchat was the first time people were really utilizing that front facing camera, showing their face, like developing those relationships. And I mean, Snapchat still like revolutionized all of that. And I mean, I'm not a super heavy user of Snapchat anymore, but I still yeah. do love it. Like but Snapchat for me is like the 50 people who I actually know by name, we're friends, like we've hung out multiple times, we went to college together, like that's Snapchat for me. Like I only, I keep it like that. Like Instagram, I'm like, follow me, whatever, I don't care. Like everything there is, you know, a little bit more like if it was up on a, a screen, I'd be fine with everybody seeing it. But like Snapchat for me is like, okay, I need one place where I don't have to be in this box. Yeah. <laughs> How, um... I mean, I think Snapchat have lost that first mover advantage. I think TikTok have obviously emerged since. Instagram were very quick to jump on the filters, on the direct messaging with photos, videos, one-time replay. Snapchat, what, what kind of edge do they offer now? Yeah, I mean, I think the conversation right now is everybody's like, oh, is, is TikTok going to take over Instagram? And is TikTok... I think TikTok is a bigger threat to Snapchat, but I mean, I, I obviously I'm not a spokesperson for people who are younger than myself, but a lot of the people who I've talked to, whether it's like my nephews or, you know, relatives who are younger, like they're still using Snapchat, but it's a little bit different, right? I mean, the purpose is different. Like people are using Snapchat to like actually communicate one-to-one, -one, but it's, that's like a social media. Whereas like, I see that TikTok is almost like social entertainment. Like you're going to TikTok to just like, be completely immersed and voyeuristic, right? 
like I think there are people I think there are even younger generations you know like 13 15 who are kind of building those one-to-one and actually using TikTok for like direct messaging but you know I think majority of users are just watching and creating uh, majority are actually just watching like there's a very few small segment of people who are like willing to create content for TikTok but that's also why those people are getting big so quick right like Instagram's a little bit easier the barrier to entry is a little lower you can just snap a picture and upload it whereas yeah. like TikTok like you have to make you have to make something there has to be a video like there's that component and it, it rewards those people who do that consistently and over and over because right you have this big circle of audience right you have let's just fake percentages for a second 50% of those people will you know upload a video once a month right and then you have those 25% of people who upload one a week and then you have those people 5% of people who just keep uploading every day and creating content and that's why they're growing because they're consistent do you think a lot of companies will start jumping on that or is the user base still too young I mean I think people have to realize that that user base is gonna maybe eventually be their customer right yeah, like, yeah. I think it depends on the company I think that that's the question right is like very strategic about what what you want your audience to be but i mean look i mean i think people use the washington post as an example I, I don't think they've like perfected everything but they obviously were an early adopter and it got people talking about them but um i'm trying to think there's a few, there's a few other that aren't are like slipping my mind but there are brands there are brands experimenting with it um there are brands that are trying it gary v is a big advocate yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, right, you're an early adopter. I mean, it's like with Instagram, the people who jumped on Instagram in 2012 are the ones who have 100,000 followers right now, yeah, yeah. but also can't grow right now because they're, they're not, they're trying to do the same thing they were doing in 2012, in 2020. And they're like, why isn't it working? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the user base like doubled, you know, it was like 500 million, I think in I don't know. I'm not going to say the right exact stat, but I mean, it's over a billion now. So it's like you doubled the audience size. So like, of course you can't just keep doing the same thing and expect the same results that you had in 2012. Especially when everyone's copying you. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, you're just doing the same stuff. Um, but that's the thing is, I mean, TikTok, it, it could be, it could be right for your brand. I think that's like a case by case thing. Um, and understanding how it would be helpful. I think, there's still, right, like the monetization of it. There's not a lot of that happening. It's, you have to make a decision. I mean, we talk about it internally. We're like, does it, would it make sense? And all those sort of things. And that's, you know, that's conversations that we have internally. But I think it could be right. I think it could be right for brands that they have to think like maybe that, maybe I do need to like introduce my brand to that audience who may be future consumers. Yeah. Or there's brands who, those that demographic are already their consumers, you know, like a chapstick or trying to think of some of the like interesting product placements that I've seen, but that's, that's the majority of the stuff that I've seen is like the product placements. Like they're not overtly like, Oh, this is a sponsored thing, but TikTok is starting to run some like pre-roll ads when you open the app and you can like say hi to ads or whatever, but yeah. So it's like KPIs now, because I want to come back to Instagram and I know they started experimenting with removing likes. And a lot of people went crazy about it. Um, I know I've looked into a lot of different articles, spoken to different experts. What's your view on that? I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, there's influencers, or I, I don't know what the threshold is, but if you're big enough, you're still going to see, I think it'll say like, and thousands of other people liked this. So it's still there. But if that's the metric that you're like garnering your success off of, it's just, it's not very helpful. I mean, like, I think to me, like the things you need to be looking at are like, are you actually reaching your audience? 
So like how many of your audience you're actually reaching with your content is your content being shown to those people. And then are those people actually engaging with it? So like your reach rate, right. And your engagement rate, like that, that to me are like way healthier metrics of success than this photo got 40 likes and this one got 80 because then that's when we go down the rabbit hole like, Oh, well, did I post it at the right time? Or, and it's just like, it's stuff like that where it's, it, it, that's what makes social media I must be like a big black box or people yeah. are like oh this is witchcraft I posted at 2 p.m and I added and they're, they're like yes there's there's validity but I think the thing is like every account is different and Instagram treats every account a bit differently in terms of the algorithm um it's like relationship timeliness and of course I'm gonna forget the third one when I'm saying this here um anyways it well, maybe relevance. There's three. There's three triggers for the algorithm. Of course, right now I'm completely blanking. Um, isn't it also the uh, format? If it's video or picture, maybe. No, it's not the format. Oh. This is gonna drive me crazy, and I'm gonna look it up after we get done talking because it's gonna drive me nuts. But um, maybe I, later. <laughs> maybe I can look it up and I can say it again so that I don't sound yeah. stupid when we do this. Um, but they they treat accounts you know differently, right? Like an account with two yeah. million followers is gonna obviously show up more likely in an explore page or stuff like that but favoritism yeah and I think I mean I don't know back to the actual question like hiding likes I think is a good move for mental health I think it will help people create more and publish without you know hopefully publish without fear of being like judged or because the number of times you see memes about people like oh I posted something and it didn't get enough likes so I deleted it but that's the fun part about social media, right? It's just like testing stuff. And I think I, for me personally, like it's kind of impossible to completely separate my mind from social media with my own. Like I do, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I guess I say I don't strategize. I really don't. I just, I want to attract people who are interested in similar things that I am. I want to yeah. provide value to people. I want to inspire people. And I want to create something that feels like somebody was talking to me. But I don't, I don't obsess over like, this post isn't going to get as much engagement or like this and that, because I just want to create, I want to have fun. And that's like where I'm at with my own social media. But, uh, people just take it like so seriously. Like they're like, Oh my God, it only got 20 likes. I have to delete it right now. (laughs) And it's like, why have we gotten to this point? Yeah. It's a bit sad. I think also uh, looking at the bookmarks because I bookmark a lot of stuff because I want to come back to it again. I'm thinking, well, surely that should be the aim. You want people to bookmark your content in an age of what you described as oversaturation of content and information. Yeah. I mean, I think that saving the past two months, I've seen so many headlines like saving is the new liking and all this stuff. And I mean, it is true. I mean, you think about the action of saving something, it means that somebody wants to reference it again, right? Like liking is so passive. Like I think we've gotten to the point where like likes are kind of meaningless. And like, you think about stuff that you like sometimes and like somebody will post about something. I'm not say like, Traumatic's not the right word, but maybe like sad. Like maybe they had mm. a grandparent die, and technically you pass by and you like it. Like yeah. you think about that. I mean, Facebook added like reactions and like yeah, sound. LinkedIn does as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's very passive. Like it's it's just like an acknowledgement, like a nod. Whereas like I think if you're really trying to develop, you know, engagement on Instagram, like I tell everybody, I'm like, just try for a day to not like and actually comment on everything. Like don't like anything but comment on everything and just see what happens for a couple of days. And I guarantee yeah. you, like you'll start to generate conversation. You will start to see more views on your profile because you're going to leave a comment on somebody who doesn't know who you are. And they're gonna be like, Oh, who is this person? Like 
that's, that's the biggest thing. Like that's what Instagram right, wants, right? They want people to build a community. They want people to stay on their platform longer, maybe for more business reasons than just creating community. Obviously they want to sell more ads, but like just thinking about it that way, like it, it's liking is not a big deal. I, I don't yeah. think it needs to stress out about it. So you were saying about the yearbook, a yearbook's not a yearbook without all the photos and people's comments, right? Yeah. Um, I've got a question about Gary V because I think we can't really have this episode without talking about him. Do you have anyone that you kind of look up to or someone that you consider as um, a mentor in social media, even if they don't know that they're your mentor? Yeah, I think Gary V, I think obviously to credit him has built a lot. I don't think that there's, but his kind of um, rhetoric mm-hmm. is, it's not exactly for me. I mean, I think there's a lot of good stuff that he says, but I also feel like there are people beyond Gary Vee to talk about social media. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about them. If I ever get the opportunity to meet him, I will apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I think it's great. I think everybody, I think he knows who he's talking to, but the whole like hustle hard, let's make four hours of YouTube content is just like, it's not really my speed. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of a few people who I really... There's, um, I really like people who, you know, talk about one internet as a whole. Taylor Lauren is a, uh, kind of like trends journalist who works at New York times. I like following her. Um, Taylor Lawrence is her name. Um, then there's actually another Taylor Lauren who works at later media. Who's like their VP of marketing. And I really mm. like, like her content because she's, I can just tell that she's so invested in building that brand at later. And so that's really interesting. There's a lot of, I follow a lot of people who just run social media accounts. I love yeah. knowing a bit about who's behind the the screen, if you will. Is that Instagram or LinkedIn followers? Um, Instagram. Instagram yeah. yeah. So I follow a lot of people. I don't really use LinkedIn that much for networking. I find it to be kind of exhausting i find instagram to be easier i feel like i do most of my networking on instagram um but yeah i just i I think for me in the past year i've really and even on twitter i've just taken a step back and tried to say like who am i following on these platforms if i'm going to be spending time here like can i make it more valuable to myself um so just trying to follow more people across the industry, met a few people like Terry Rice, who obviously connected us yeah. social media week in New York. And um, yeah, just following people who are going to add tidbits of value to my day, whether it's like entertainment or education, which are both valuable in my book. But yeah. um, I've, I've noticed that shift in my own sort of just like consumption habits in the past year or two. What are like the biggest tips you have for people when it comes to networking on Instagram? Because I think, a lot of people do still associate networking with LinkedIn as a professional platform, but they haven't quite gotten to grips with the style of networking that we might use um, on Instagram, a less yeah. formal approach. I think it's like with anything else, like you need to approach it with a veil of respect a bit, like, and not to say like you shouldn't ask people questions, but I mean, having like managed other like brands dms and things like that and people just being pushy and like don't don't expect something from someone right like if you're gonna slide into somebody's dms like tell them like something they did that inspired you like don't just tell them about yourself right like tell them something that you learned from them like people and it's not to say you just need to like stroke people's egos but i mean that's how you like stand out like you say that 
you mentioned something specific, like why are you following them? Why do they bring value to you? Yeah. Um, and then if you actually have like a clear thing that you like want or need, like, I mean, you can, like, there's a way to be polite about it. I would not say like jump into somebody's DM and be like, let's collab. Like that's yeah. so overused and it's just like obnoxious. Like, it's like, what does that even mean? Like half the time <laughs> brands who have some like shoddy Instagram influencer program, that's basically like a, like a, you know, like you're having to buy stuff to sell stuff to other people on Instagram. It's just nuts. But like, if you're truly using it as a network thing, I mean, I don't know, there's not like a formula, but there's a number of times people who I've followed who, you know, I send them a message and I'm like, Hey, I've been following you for a while now. Like your stories add X, Y, Z to my day. Um, just wanted to drop a note and think you're doing like a really great job and I appreciate it. Like I'm not expecting anything back. Like I just, I think that we need to spread this kind of like appreciation a bit more. Um, even the other day, uh, there's a trainer who I've been following for a long time and you know, she was talking about like, I developed this product that is just like amazing. And I like DM'd her and I like wanted to start a conversation. I was like, Hey, you know, I think you've actually developed like an experience, like, right. You're like making people feel with this product that you've built. She like developed a class and she was like, that's, that is so meaningful to me. you know what I mean? And I think that's the way when you're coming from an honest place and you're not trying to just like stroke people's egos or get something from people, that's when you build those relationships. Like that person's going to see you, and they're going to remember you. And like, it's, it's cheesy, but it's really like people do really remember how they make you feel. And I, I think I've always kind of relied on that a bit and just trying to treat that in the same way whenever I'm going into somebody's DMs. There's very rare times I slide in like asking for something. Yeah. Like I haven't gotten to that point. I'm more just show appreciation and give credit where credit's due. I'm sure if I, you know, if I was, if I was working on the brand side, right, which I have like, at self magazine, we sourced a lot of stories from social media. Um, so we were reading people's, you know, posts, whatever they had put online, and we wanted to share their story to a broader audience, right? So, you know, you had to be very clear, you had to build trust, you had to, you know, we're not just trying to like make a quick post about your story, like we would actually reach out to them, we would interview them, um, we would go through a process the same way we wanted them to feel that we were really trying to give their story the space that it deserved and the respect that it deserved. And a lot of times we were dealing with more sensitive subjects, whether it was, you know, body image or a invisible illness or things like that, that we were writing about. And so trying to build that relationship off of like trust and not just like making it feel sleazy or like, Hey, why haven't you sent us a picture? Like we said, we were going to feature you like just, just stuff like that. I mean, to me, it's like kind of basic, but yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Approaching it with like building that trust and mutual respect and kindness is pretty simple, but I think it really does go a long way because so many people are sliding into DMs just trying to like get stuff out of people. Yeah. And when it comes to using social media generally, it could be Instagram, it could be Snapchat, LinkedIn. What's the most obvious thing people should be doing, but they tend to forget it? Whether it's posting, whether it's um, interacting with people, whether it's uh, using some of the features such as live. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, I think it's like what you, what you want it to be for, right? Like if you're, you know, if you are a casual social media user who uses it to connect, I would say really use it to connect, you know, like reach out to people. Don't just consume, 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 like actually comment, start a conversation. Like yeah. social media is not go, like the, the first word in it, right? It's social, like social, it's yeah. to connect the tool is intended to do what we do right here, like in, or face to face faster and more often. So like, 
catch up with those people that you don't catch up with, reply to their story. Like I think looking at that from like the casual kind of user, like that's what's going to make those platforms more meaningful to you. And in my opinion, and some people might not feel the same way, but if, if you're just feeling like social media is draining you, delete the app for a while. But if you want it and you feel like you miss seeing the people that you see every day, like make it more meaningful, like make that effort to reach out to somebody and talk to them. Like, don't just, don't be so passive about it. I, I would say that would be my tip for people who are feeling like a little disillusioned with it just as a casual user. Um, I think maybe as somebody who's trying to build a brand, I think really think about what sets you apart, right? Like I think right now with social media, there's so many people doing so many things and so many people doing the same things, but there's always a way to separate yourself, even if it's just your personality. And so say you feel like, okay, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a trainer. Everybody's a trainer. Everybody's yeah. a fitness. Everybody's a fitness. Like, what's going to set you apart is you, right? So yeah. look at these features that allow your personality to shine, make more videos, talk to the camera more, show your face, because that is what people are going to connect to, right? Like it's not yeah. these like, perfectly posed photos. Like, yeah, maybe you're a photographer and you can like edit incredibly. And that's, you know, maybe what sets you apart. But like, I think people are scared to lean into their own personality a bit because it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I, it, it's vulnerable. It's, it's, yeah. and I mean, I agree even TikTok is a perfect example, but people are putting themselves out there entirely. And it's, and I honestly respect it a lot. I mean, yeah, I, think I, it's hard. Well. I mean, I feel like what I put out in the world is almost identical to what you would meet in person, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't, you know, yeah. um, that's some boundaries. But I think if, if you're somebody trying to build a brand for yourself, just, just remembering that you are a human that is different than everybody else. And so by de facto, you can be different than somebody else on social media, do, but yeah, yeah like, what is it that's different? Like, and say you're trying to get a job, say you are like a social media, like what is it that sets you apart? Like what is the thing that's going to make you different? Um, and, and set you apart from the crowd and everybody is different. Like it's not just, it's not just all like run of the mill, same thing, but thinking about that and thinking about how those opinions that you have are different can be slowly woven through all of your content. Like it's almost like your brand story, right? But as a person, developing your own brand your story is your own right so like even like I'm from Texas I'm moved around a lot I live a little bit more of a different lifestyle than other people but like those that that thread is woven through a lot of my posts and just you know like being true to that like you don't have to lie and make up a whole story like that that's your own brand story and if you're trying to build your own personal brand really trying to like let yourself shine in your content is going to really help with that how do you find managing multiple accounts works as successfully as possible? Do you have like a, a formula or a recipe? Um, so I've actually, in terms of managing multiple accounts, I think the, the best, like my perspective is more on how do I maintain my like own presence while having my day job be social. I've never worked as like a freelancer who managed okay. like accounts at a time, which is super impressive. And I think yeah. there are a lot of other people who could speak more to how they separate because, you know, you're writing, you're writing captions, you're creating content. Like how do you make those separations and make sure that you're not letting those kind of bleed into each other. I think a bigger thing that I hear people who work in social media say over and over is like, I can barely do my, like just my job. I'm overwhelmed with my job. How am I supposed to do social media too? Yeah. But I do, I do think if you work in social media, it is important to have a presence like, I'm not saying you have to be the best at it. I'm not saying you have to, like, 
overwhelm yourself, but you, you should exist on the platforms as somebody who's hired people in social roles. Like I do, I look at your social media. I'm interested in, you know, how you project, you know, life and stuff on social media. Like, do you use it? Do you like it? Or, you know, and then that'd be a question I would ask in an interview. But I think in terms of managing your own boundaries, like I do still enjoy social media. So it's kind of easy for me, but there are times where I just like, I go dark. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this right now. But I also am not beholden to like any like contracts with brands or things like that. I think like that's a place where there are people who manage it really well. Like their Instagram becomes an entire other source of revenue. And so they do have to figure it out. I think with that, that's like with anything else, it's batching your content, it's getting organized, it's separating time and space and like really blocking off your time. Um, I haven't really had to do that because I don't view my Instagram as like a business. Um, well, I remember I, you mentioned on the podcast that you have a schedule um, in the morning and in the evening where you interact with the community and in between it's ad hoc or it's just other tasks pending. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I always try to set aside time where I'm not just like passively liking stuff because yeah. when I get in those holes, I don't feel good about the time I'm wasting. And so I spend a lot of time, I feel like, in Instagram DMs. I think one of the best features they added was, like, story replies. I think it it completely transformed the way that we, like, talk to people on Instagram. Um, because I love it. I love feeling like I'm with somebody seeing what they're doing and giving them a reaction and, you know, talking to them about what they're doing. Or if I had a shared experience with that, yeah. like, whether it's at a restaurant or something like that. Like, I just think that's really fun. Um, so I spend a lot of time... I don't even think I intentionally really set side time aside. It's more just like, that's where I find myself more often because it's more rewarding. I find mm. to be DMing people. Yeah. And the team you work with in HubSpot, do you, do you guys set time aside to educate yourselves on new trends and emerging? Uh, yeah. Technology? How does that work on the educational side? Yeah. I mean, I, that's one of my favorite things about working here is we do work with a ton of people who work across different aspects of business. So we're always learning from other people, but we actually do have an hour every Friday called student of the industry. And it's a block off on our time calendar. Like there are some Fridays where I just can't manage to do it because I have other things that need to get done. But I think what's really important here is that like learning is encouraged. It's like we're making content for sales, marketing and service. And so there's a lot of stuff about sales that I don't know. Like I've had to create content for an entirely sales focused campaign and it's like, how do I create content that's going to resonate with somebody who works in sales, right? It's like, I have to educate myself on things that I don't know anything about. Um, but yeah, we do. We have that on our calendar every week. And I think it's really important um, to make learning and educating yourself a priority, especially working in digital media. Um, something, one of my sort of like resolutions this year is like less Netflix and more learning. Um, I don't really do resolutions, but I, I am highly visual. I also love listening to things. I'm not the best about like sitting down and reading a book. I never have been. Like I joke that I will start a book and not finish it. I'm just, I'm not a big reader. Um, I know you asked like what's on your like books to read list. And I'm like, oh, let's pass on that one. But um, I've been using Skillshare, which is um, Amazing. not sponsored, but I like it because it's audible. There's some... Yeah for like some graphic design courses and stuff, you have to see what you're listening to. But I like that it's like planned lessons. And I know that's, you know, something that you guys are trying to curate is that kind of yeah. same idea of like courses and learning from people. But I think just 
learning things. It's just like, it adds variety to your conversation. It adds variety to your life. Like I, it's, it's funny. I joke, like my boyfriend is like very into personal finance, which is like something that I never began. Like I never was, I mean, I was always like good with money, but I just was never something I was interested in. But like, it's kind of funny because we both bring different topics to the table. Right. And we get to like learn about things from each other. Yeah. I love that because it's just, just finding like whether it's following some accounts that are outside of your normal day to day, just to learn something different is so important. And you mentioned Skillshare, but what other methods of learning? Obviously you mentioned your boyfriend, you mentioned uh, expertise at work. Oh, I don't know that much from him. (laughs) (laughs) What other um, uh, methods of learning do you you advocate? Um, I love, I love podcasts. Um, I do listen to podcasts. A lot of them are like social media based. Um, Buffer has a great one. Social or we have a, the growth show, which is awesome. Um, how I the growth, the growth show. Growth show. Um, yeah, we all, we, that's like one of our, um, I think we have three now it's the growth show, weird work, um, skill up. And we just started a new podcast called culture happens, which is like run by our culture team, which is a um, great um, great content about diversity, belonging, and inclusion, which I think is just something that I value so much working here. People want people to feel like they belong. Like yeah. you say that like diversity inclusion isn't just like a box check. It's not that like, no, like yeah. that's, that's not what it should be. It should be that we're creating environments. People feel like they belong. It's not to like, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's a great Key one. Word, belonging. Yeah. Yeah, so th- those are those are four that we have here. But like I said, buffer science of social media is a great one. Um, I know that later media started one, but I haven't caught up with theirs. It's I'm very like I'm very popcorn. Like I'm on for a week and then I don't listen to podcasts. But also just like in terms of learning, just like listening to people more is something I really tried to improve. I'm a talker, <laughs> and I think that's something that's like so valuable is just like stopping and actually trying to listen and asking people questions about what they're talking about. Like, I think we're all not, not by fault, but maybe just like a little bit selfish by nature. Mm, We want to talk about something that we, we felt that was similar to that and tell our story, but like just stopping and asking questions about the story or the topic that somebody else is, you know, learning about speaking about and you can just you can learn so much in just that way because every person comes with so many different experiences um I found myself really trying to practice the exercise of stopping and like thinking of a question that is related to what they're saying um to learn a bit more rather than just trying to like jump into an experience that I had to tell my story and let them have the stage and tell their story yeah that's powerful when it comes to um education i know you're currently playing a role with terry rice in launching a course or providing some content for people to learn from um, so a bit yeah. more about that i'm actually i'm not, i think that might have been confused so i'm not working with him on any we've con, we've stayed connected since okay. social media week and um he helped connect me with some people there and i'm actually going to be speaking at social media week this year which is really exciting wow, amazing um yeah i've never done that before um, i'm going to do a session about developing organic instagram strategy wow okay um, more focused to people who are either um just kind of starting out or people who've already had a social media presence but just feel like they have no vision um mm-hmm. like they're just kind of spinning their wheels um so yeah that's kind of my first time speaking at a conference i'm really excited about that um hoping that uh terry rice will be there and we can chat but 
we haven't really worked on a course together. I uh, collaborated with, um, his name was Dalton, and of course I'm blinking, but he was another, he was a Skillshare teacher, and we were talking about the importance of like visual branding. Um, so we've collaborated on that. I've also done courses with a friend who's a blogger. She's a, she runs like a super successful baking blog called Brahma Bakery, and I've helped um, do some video courses with her that she shared, like they're available for purchase. Uh, it's like a master class. Um, so yeah, I think that by talking about stuff that I do has enabled me to help learn because I don't, I think everybody like, yes, you can be an expert at something. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that on statement. I just said like you, you can be really great at something, but I think you can always be learning and Absolutely. I think doing, doing those side projects. I, I freelance a bit on the side. I do some consulting on the side, like doing those projects has forced me to keep learning. Like there's stuff that I learned about in school that I haven't used in what oh god six years and so so like if i'm going to consult somebody on it like of course it's like in my day-to-day -day, but i have to refresh myself on something yeah. to make sure that i'm building a course for them that's going to be helpful and valuable so i think through like side projects just saying yes to opportunities as they came up um even if i don't feel fully prepared that's like my favorite thing is like say yes and figure it out later like yeah. when i first like you know sometimes there's just opportunities where you're like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. But there's like no way that I'd ever get selected or there's no way to be able to do it. But just like, just saying yes. And just like figuring it out as you go. Like I never was like, ah, oh, tech will be a, a perfect fit for me. Like working in tech, social media, that makes so much sense. But I was like, we'll see, like, let's just yeah. let's see what happens. So I think sometimes you just kind of have to say yes and figure out the logistics as you go. Um, it's like the Snapchat when you were, you know, <laughs> my favorite is we have this photo i'm snapchatting on an ipad like i'm that person who was like because that we didn't have like a work phone oh, okay, okay. And i had like terrible service so all we had was an ipad so i'm like standing at the bottom of a run with an ipad like taking photos and, like doing snapchat on the ipad and i like it just cracks me up to even think about it um but <laughs> yeah i i launched snapchat on an ipad so it was, it was, it was a good time, but yeah, I mean, right. You just kind of have to figure it out. And sometimes that means you're going to fail. Like sometimes it means you're going to suck at something and not be fully prepared, but, um, you just, you got to take that first step and say yes. So that's kind of a backdoor to how I've kept learning is saying yes to opportunities that maybe I don't feel fully prepared for. We definitely take each other after you've done the uh, social week talk on, um, organic reach. That, we need a what? So I think the sounds of it. Um, I said we definitely need to have a catch up after you've given that talk on Social Week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, um, I think it'll be sounds good. like an interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, I think I think people are kind of I think you had a question that was prepped that was like, is Instagram dead? Should people, you know, jump ship on Instagram? And I don't think it's dead. I think that there is. It's still got a lot a lot of life left in it. Um, it still has a huge audience. It's about figuring out which part of that audience you can make meaningful and valuable content to. Like you're not going to speak to the 1 billion people on there. Um, but you, there are so many small businesses who have, you know, found so much success through really like really, really geolocated efforts, um, finding whether it was influencers in their space as well as like in their physical location who they yeah. can collaborate with. Like it, it's very possible. It just takes work. And the thing is, is again, like we said earlier, like people think social media is super easy because everybody has it low barrier to entry. Everybody can be on it, but there's fewer people who can do it well. Um, 
but yeah, even brands like in the past two years, I mean, I obviously am like a millennial woman. So these are the first brands that are coming to mind. But like you look at Glossier, you look at Outdoor Voices, like these brands have built like cult-like followings in the past two years. And it's, it's, it's not dead. It just, you have to work harder than you did (laughs) five five years ago and you have to be more strategic. Um, but if you build something that is compelling, like people who that is intended for are going to come for it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree. Leslie, I always ask uh, our guests a few questions at the end. Uh, what's the non-negotiable for you on a daily basis? You know, it's funny. I feel, I wonder if I like knew this when I was right. I actually made, I wrote an Instagram post the other day about this. Um, for me, it's movement. Um, I'm really, really passionate about moving my body and doing something. I am not a functioning human if I don't get a chance to like at least go for like a 30 minute walk, get to do some stretching, do something. Um, for me, it's kind of like movement therapy, if you will. Um, it gives me, it forces me to get away from a screen, um, which is really important. Uh, I'm an adamant like morning workout person. It's very hard in Boston in the winter to identify as that because it's cold and it's freezing and it's dark. (laughs) I don't want to get out of bed, but there's just something about like getting up in the morning and getting a workout done before other people are awake and doing things that feels really empowering to me. I feel like if I can tackle that in the morning, like everything else is going to be easier from there, at least in terms of like a physical standpoint. Um, and I just, I love the quiet of mornings. I'm saying this feeling hypocritical because the winter is really tough for me to do this. Like the quiet between like 6am and like 8am where like nobody's slacking me. Like I I just feel very free in the mornings to do what I want. And I think it's hard when you have a nine to five job, you're very beholden to other people's time. Um, Especially as younger, you know, I mean, obviously when you get older and you have more of a position of power, you can, I mean, luckily we have unlimited vacation, but like, you're doing a lot of things for other people during the day. I spend so much time doing things for other people. There's very few moments. And I don't even like, I think about people who have kids and all this stuff, like having even less time for themselves. But I think you just, I feel very passionate about the fact that you have to create some space for yourself because if you don't take that time for yourself, you are literally going to be crap for everyone else. Like I'm going to be a worse teammate to the people here. I'm going to be a worse partner I'm going to be a worse like daughter. I'm like not going to yeah. be able to talk to my mom on the phone. And it's people are like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. And like, you're just going to keep running yourself so ragged that it's just going to get worse and worse. So carving that time out for myself in the morning, especially with movement is kind of the like doing it. Yeah. I always feel a lot better after I've done some exercise as well. Um, when do you like feel worse? I mean, yeah, there's some like really bad workouts where maybe yeah. you feel like you're going to die, but I just... Like, unless you hurt yourself or you're really, like, completely exasperated, there are very few times I, like, get done with something. I'm like, I regret that. Like, I might hate it in the moment, and I might hate it 10 minutes after, but, like, an hour later, I just, like, I feel accomplished. I feel like the next thing I do is going to be easier. Yeah, it's really interesting because now it's January, and all the New Year's resolutions are in the gym, taking up all the space, not putting the weights where they belong, and I'm like, this is a mess. And I was talking to Francesca Martinez, one of our – guests on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was talking about animal flow movements body weight exercises and I was thinking you know what I'm going to give this a go and I've been trying that a lot lately just finding a corner in the gym no one there a lot of animal flow movements you don't need any weights you just need floor space 
and yeah, even after that, you feel really good. You haven't touched a single weight, single dumbbell, single kettlebell, and you feel so good after. So yeah, I definitely encourage more people to do that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that point is really smart. I mean, I think even my own perception of fitness and the past, you know, three to four years, obviously in college, I was an athlete. So the purpose of strength was to be a better player mm. um, and had that motivation. Actually, right now I'm training for um, a Spartan beast, which is like, uh, it's like a half marathon with obstacles. So kind of crazy, probably the hardest race I've ever signed up for, but like, it gives me a purpose to what I'm doing. Right. I think like when people start to reevaluate fitness as something that's not just like aesthetic, but more functional, it's really, really helpful for the mindset. And like you said, like being able to have good mobility is so much more important than having like a six pack. Like none of us are going to be ripped at like age, maybe there's people who are 60 and ripped, but like <laughs> realistically, like those things are going to break down. Just your muscle yeah. tissue itself is going to break down yeah. as you get older. So focusing on being able to move well, and move without pain, right? And like kind of getting that mindset now. And that's when you become consistent and you learn to like fitness and you keep doing it every day. Not just like, oh my God, I have to like not eat for six weeks and I have to like sit on an elliptical for 50 hours a day. Like, no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Perry Nicholson would definitely agree with us on that. Um, next question. What's been the happiest day of your life? Oh my gosh, I saw this question on the thing and I was like, this is really difficult. Um, I don't, I don't know that this is so hard. I feel like to me, it's definitely a time where I'm like outside. I think about, like, I feel like it's not necessarily like an event. Like there've been events where I've been like really proud of myself and I've been like happy with accomplishments, but I think just like purely happy um my boyfriend and I took a trip to Mexico a while probably I guess it was maybe like 2016 and I just remember we spent the whole day just like driving around the island you know beautiful weather got like good drinks and just sat on the beach and like to me that was just like happy like it was just like everything was in line I was stress-free and I feel like that same thing was replicated. We went to Hawaii uh, last year and it's kind of the same thing, just like spending, spending time with people you love and those like really peaceful moments. Um, but I don't know. I think it's really easy to say happiness and equate that with like career success. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think that long-term I'm going to remember those moments more of like driving around on a beach than I will like the time I got promoted or got a raise or you know? Yeah, I understand. What's your biggest fear? Um, that's another good question. I don't know. I think my biggest fear is probably not leaving like lasting, meaningful relationships with people. Like I'm not really, I don't know. I think it's really hard to say like leave a legacy. I think, you know, I think it's like almost leaving, leaving people who like, care about you and developing relationships that are really meaningful because I truly believe like relationships are the most like valuable thing you have even like relationship with yourself right like th those relationships are just I would be if I were to like die tomorrow and didn't have re like I hadn't impacted somebody with a relationship that we had I'd be really sad so I think that's probably one of my biggest like life fears. I mean, now for talking about things, I'm just like scared of, I don't like snakes. I don't like lizards. Um, but here in terms of like where my big life fears, that would probably be it. It's just not having 
those like meaningful relationships to kind of fill me up and have those. It's powerful. If I was to give you a phone and you were to call yourself five, 10 years ago, what would you say? <laughs> five, 10 years. Okay. Let's place that. So it's 20, 25 years ago. I would have been 2015. I would have been living in Colorado. Um, this I described this 2015 is kind of like my self-described year of like 2014 to 2015 was like discovering what I liked, like meeting new people, literally just like, that was like my year of yes. Like I just said yes to everything. Um, I think I would tell myself that it's like going to calm down a bit. Like, I think that was just like such a frantic year. I like moved from Colorado to New York. I basically cleared out my savings to move to New York. I had actually just started dating my boyfriend and we had only been like really dating for like four months. And I was like, peace, I'm going to New York. Like, let's see if we can make this work. Like neither of us were really sure about it. I mean, we, we like wanted, we were like both like, let's give everything we've got to make it work. But I mean, we were about to move, you know, a four hour plane ride away. And I just, there were so many things happening with like my life, my career, my relationships that just felt hectic. Uh, I moved into East Village and literally had like no money and slept on the floor for a couple nights because I didn't wow. couldn't go to bed yet. And I remember my mom, like we stayed at a hotel for a couple nights when we first got there, but then we moved into an apartment that I had never seen. I was living with a girl I never knew, like I was basically living on like the bourbon street of East Village. And I was just like really scared. I was really proud of myself for being there, but there were just so many times that I was like, did I make the right move? Like I was so stressed out. I, I was just like trying to discover myself. And I think I would tell myself that like things are going to calm down. And in the end, you just, you have yourself and you really have to know that that's what you've got right now. And you just really need to like keep trying to stay true to things like trust your gut, I think is a big one too. It sounds like very cheesy, but I always know the times when I don't trust my gut, I like something bad happens. <laughs> um, if something doesn't feel right. It's probably not right. But that and just like just keep on like it's it's gonna settle down I think there's there's those like right there's like those transition years where things are crazy and then there's those years that things are crazy and they kind of come in waves um but kind of having to trust that that ebb and flow of it that it will all calm down like last year was a calmer year sounds like the advice one of my favorite professors gave me you've got your head you've got your heart you've got your gut use them yeah no and it's it's, it's very simple and I think like even like I know some people have sort of like guiding lights, but I really feel like it's like working hard, being honest and being kind is like, sometimes I'm going to suck at what I'm doing. I'm not going to know what I'm doing, but if I can like check those boxes that I did that at the end of the day, I feel okay. I feel good about what I've left with that day. Um, and sometimes I'm not, you know, sometimes we're not at our kindness. Like sometimes we're not as honest as we could be. And sometimes we didn't work as hard as we could be. And so I think those are kind of my like metrics of like kind of daily success. Like, am I doing that? Um, but yeah, sometimes it really is as simple as that. And 10 years ago? 10 years ago. Well, I would have been graduating high school. So I would have been graduating high school. Um, I was going to, I lived in Austin, grew up in Austin, was going to San Antonio, which is about 90 miles away. I was I feel like my transition from high school to college wasn't as different as kind of college out into the real world because I was still playing a sport. I had a bit of like an immediate friend group through sports. I joined a sorority, which was another sort of immediate friend group. My school was pretty small. I think I thought I knew myself really well, but I think, hmm. <laughs> I think I 
I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think that transition, I, I still looked for validation from a lot of other people and outside sources um, rather than kind of finding it within myself and having that confidence in myself. I think I was looking for other people to give that to me. Um, and so I think that that would be, I don't know, would just be the, the like confidence in your self advice. Like, I think it's just, it's kind of hard. You're going to a new school. You're trying to like find your place. You're trying to meet new friends and, you know, you kind of want to meet other people's expectations. But I think at times I wasn't just like confident in myself enough to just be exactly who I was. And, um, I think everybody goes through that identity crisis with every like life kind of transition. So if we're to do some word associations now, would you, yeah. Okay. Ready. Um, so community, uh, am I just saying like the first thing that comes to my head? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the most important thing you have content. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I thought of was important, but that's like, uh, that's not a good one. Content. I feel like I just like, I, I sometimes hate the word content cause it's just like so yeah. overused. So um, I would say probably like too much, like, like we talked about earlier, like content too much. I think it's like making the content you make valuable and mm. valuable in some way to somebody who's consuming it, even if it's just valuable to you because it makes you happy. Branding. Important. People remember how you, people remember how brands are valuable because it's like how people feel about you. Right. It's like the human side of that. So education, education. Um, I think I just thought of priceless because I was just thinking about valuable, but education, maybe like, I'm trying to think of the word for like, it's, it's not like education feels so formal, but education is like a very fluid thing that can come in a lot of different ways. And I think if you're not really looking for ways to learn, like if you're not really open to the idea of learning new things, you're not going to be able to get that education that is important. Like education outside of the or the traditional sense. Movement. Movement. Fun. <laughs> Exciting. Uh, I think it's like movement. I think like fun, passionate, exciting. I just, I get energy when I think about moving. I'm sure I probably like have some like maybe undiagnosed like ADHD or something, who knows. Um, <laughs> but I was always bouncing off the walls. And I was a child, my mom was like, I could not keep you in one place. Yeah. Like she jokes that when I was little, um, she would give me like, it was like some like herbal thing that she got at some, at like the grocery store, herbal grocery store that was like called like calm child. It was like chamomile or something. And I used to have terrible nightmares when I was little. And so she would always like be like, it's nightmare medicine. I'm like, it was like herbal Ritalin mom, but like whatever you want to say. Yeah. I'll remember that if I ever have kids. Uh... <laughs> um, so yeah, I know you talked about a potential book one day and you said how writing is not your strength. If you were to write a book, what would it be about? I feel like I say writing is not my strength because I've like put myself in that box. I do think I'm a good writer. I think it takes me a really long time to get mm. out my thoughts. Um, that was always my weakness in school was I could produce something that 
was really great, but I am a hyper perfectionist where if it didn't sound right, I would redo it six times, but I've gotten a lot better at like just putting my ideas out and then going back and editing later. Um, I don't know. I think if I were to write about anything, I don't think it would be about like what I work in or like what I do for day to day. I think if I were to write about something, I think maybe it would be, it would definitely be short firm. I'm not writing a book, but I think about kind of like the value of kind of like taking some risks as well as like moving around and trying different things. I think variety is so important. Like I always look at it as like, you can't know the vanilla is your favorite ice cream if you've only had vanilla, right? Like, and people make that joke about like partners or things like that. But like, I mean, I think you just have to experience things, whether it's like traveling, moving to different places, saying yes to stuff. Like you have to experience those to be able to gauge what you actually like, right? Like if you've woken up every day and had scrambled eggs and this and like you like it, but maybe you're happy with that. And I I honestly sometimes uh, like envy people who are just like very satisfied with very routine. And I think that that's, that's healthy too. But like, if I were to write about something, I think it would probably be like, just like enjoying the variety of stuff. Like I've never felt that I was going to live like a very kind of like stereotypical, like get married, have kids, settle down type of life. It just has never really felt very appealing to me. I've always just like kept thinking like, oh, there's so much out there to see and do and experience um that that's that's what I would want to write about amazing yeah I think I could definitely see you writing a book where there were different topics and you'd be answering so many questions and it would be hard to categorize it Um, it's a little it's a little all over the place but I guess if it I guess you could write a book you can write a book about anything I think intimidating to me because I don't read them that much (laughs) but I like I like the short form I do like reading but I'm definitely more short form yeah different versions different um releases yeah i know, I know um free economics that was a good example because they released free economics and they released super free economics and i remember thinking this could have just been one book but they separated it for some reason <laughs> yeah um but yeah i don't i don't foresee a book anytime soon but um it is it is fun to try new things you mentioned less netflix more learning or something <laughs> yeah. as a, what are you currently watching uh, I just binge watched the whole season of the both seasons of you, which everyone was talking about, which I'm not sure if you've watched yet. It's about a guy who's like a creepy stalker. And I think the most interesting aspect of it is, uh, um, the actor talking about, and I'm like blanking on his name. It's Penton Bagley. I, again, can't remember names worth crap, but, um, just like the whole conversation around the fact that you, you learn to forgive him in the show. Like he's doing these horrible things, but like he developed a character that you can't really, you almost like can't hate. Um, And like his position as like a white male. And there's just a lot of like interesting things that kind of get interlaced into that. Um, But yeah, so that's what I just recently watched, but I've also really been, um, there's a series called Explained. um, And I can't remember, I don't think it's Vox, but one of the, one of the larger publishing companies did. And I just think that's really interesting because it's like a 25 minute episode um the last one I watched was about um like attraction and beauty and how like as humans we're like hardwired for we're attracted to different things but then a lot of times it comes down to like who would be a like foreseeable mate to you like just things that are kind of like stripping down everything else um so that's what I watched recently um yeah 
Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm not much of a Netflix watcher, but uh, I'm slowly getting into Peaky Blinders. <laughs> I have not watched that one. Yeah. It's a good um, period British gangster film from um, a <laughs> film series from the 20s. So yeah, it's good. Um, so I need to put it on my list. I mean, on the whole, Leslie, I think like you're on a great track. I've really enjoyed this conversation. The reason I connected with you in the first place was because obviously because of Terry, but I saw your content, I saw some of the messages, the way you interacted. You had that um, comment box in your story where you're answering people's questions. And I thought, wow, some of these answers are really good. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad you came onto the podcast and I'm really keen and interested to know what happens next in Social Week, the, um, the course you give about organic reach. I think that's a really relevant topic. And yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next steps. Yeah, I'm excited to stay connected. I, like I said, I think that's the most valuable part to me is like, you know, I'm not going to like get to hang out with you all the time, but Instagram's just like fun to keep up yeah. with what people are doing, especially when you're interested in it. But um, I'm just so glad that we had the opportunity to talk. Um, I'm excited to hear the episode. Um, and I'm just excited for the brand that you're trying to build. You guys are building out something that you care about. So Thanks, um, yeah. it'll be fun to watch. Thanks. Yeah, we're looking forward to it too. We've got some um, uphill battles ahead, but yeah. Yeah. We'll embrace those. Well, thank you so much. Um, I guess we'll, we can uh, just be in contact about um, when everything's coming out and how that all goes. And um, we'd definitely love to help promote it. Thanks. Appreciate that, Lizzie. Take care. Cool. Have a good one.